Hi, I'm Liz Stokel. And I'm Debbie Rude. We're Dancing with Skeletons. We know what it's like to keep our past hidden away, like skeletons in a closet. We also know the healing that comes from acknowledging who we used to be and how much we've learned. So every once in a while, we dance with our skeletons. So come dance with us. Good afternoon. Hi, Liz. How are you, Debbie? I've had a really interesting week. You have. And you know how it started it last started week. It started one week ago. Yes, it did. Yeah. Tell us what happened. So a week, we have a, this lovely music school here in Central California, <clears throat> and um, we have a cat named Satori that has been sort of our mascot for the last two and a half, three years is about when she came into our shop. And... You were here. I was and here. last week, my husband came in and found her unresponsive on the floor. And so in this mad panic of what do we do, it was kind of really kind of an amazing thing. I We're in the car. The cat's having a seizure on my lap. Oh, gosh. I'm thinking. Because I saw you just pick her up. And she was. Um, her eyes were still kind of were open, but they were stationary. Yeah. And they, she wasn't blinking. Yeah. She just looked like she was just. Kind Not, of, yeah, yeah, just unresponsive. Yeah. And but open so eyes. We got in the car. She had a, we were traveling to my own vet that's been my vet for 10 years or longer. Mm-hmm. And they said, you need to take her to the emergency room. We can't see her. And I, that freak flipped me out because it's like, I don't know where the emergency room is. I, yeah. You, you're my vet. You guys need to take her, you know? So, Right as John and I got over the railroad tracks there on Shields and Maroa, right. I looked to my and, and I did, and I even said, "God, what do I do?" And I said it out loud. <laughs> yeah. And I looked to my left, and it said Maroa Street Vet, like right there, a brand, a, a newer vet hospital. Right. I said, "Go there." And so John whipped the car and we went there. And this is after you left your regular vet. No. Or you had you called. I called. Oh, my you called. Vet. You I called. called my okay. vet. Okay. Oh my gosh. Uh-huh. And so I turned in there and John went to the door and the girl came out and she took the cat and she warmed her up and took I mean, they totally took care of me and that cat. And um, at the end of the day which was, you know, two hours later at the end of this whole thing, I ended up putting her down. I had to because mm-hmm. she was just way, way, way too ill. Mm-hmm. Um, but they let me be with her Aww. when they did it. And because of COVID, kind of like you can't be with your grandma because yeah. of COVID, they don't want you with your pets either. And they were gracious and they set up a little table outside and they brought her. And she was all wrapped in a towel, and they let me hold her, and they let me talk to her, and that I was crying, and they put her down in my arms. Oh, so. bless her heart. And she was so loved because you had students that were coming in here. She was you had, so... I mean, before the pandemic, there was a lot of people that came in and out of this shop, and including the entire choir. Yeah. I remember one day when you hadn't seen Satori in a few hours and were so concerned that she had gotten out by right. the cleaning crew, you right. know? That's right. And you kept calling the cleaning crew, and you were like, I can't find my cat. Yeah. And all of a sudden, there we were five 
minutes yep. into choir rehearsal and she came walking up like on the stage yep. like hello yep <laughs> and she would do that in the middle of performances she would walk yeah. out on the stage and she just was she would wander through the audience she was not afraid of people right you would sit down in you know that waiting room would be filled up with folks before covid and she would just hop on one person and say hi and hop to the next and just yeah. She was amazing. When I directed a Little Mermaid here and had a whole cast of kids yeah. in here, one of the kids was particularly um, drawn to, to Satori. To, and yes. I remember one time he missed, a, you know, he missed an entrance. He missed because, a cue because, because and the, he, yeah. you know, I'm like yelling at him, "It's your cue!" You know, luckily it was just a rehearsal, and I'm yelling, "Come out!" And he just walks out on stage and says, "I was petting the cat." <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, we can't do that during a okay, show." That's a problem. I didn't realize that that happened. <laughs> and, you know, it That's didn't happen right. with all that. Most of the kids were able to stay focused, but he was a particularly, he was particularly drawn to that cat. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of people really did enjoy, you know, her presence. And so, <sighs> anyway, so that happened last week. Um, and... You know, that took me several days to recover from. It really yeah, did. I kept yeah. it kept going over and over in my mind and but but I'm okay now. And so and you know, when you go through a trauma like that and you, you know, you're like one time I you know, this is a completely kind of different scenario, but this young man came out just very quickly in an intersection and I was turning left and I didn't see him. He was on my left side and just as I turned, he kind of walked in front of me and I hit him. <gasps> And he kind of rolled up onto the hood of my car and then off onto the ground. Well, he wasn't hurt. You know, the police came. There was no, there were no, there was nothing, yeah. no ramifications from that. Because it was, you know, it was his fault. But, you know, the thing is, is that, um, is that I kept seeing that. Yeah. You know, I kept seeing over. that over and over and over again. Yes. And it was just, you know, I'd wake up in the middle of yes. the night and just see this. And even though it all worked out just fine, mm -hmm. everybody was fine. So I can imagine, well, you know, just walking over and seeing Satori lying there. And John, you know, he came in and said, I think Satori's dead. Yeah. And there was just this five minutes of, oh. Yeah. I could just imagine mm -hmm. that you played that over and over and over. I did. It was, you know. there And, I mean, my... I think all of our brains are kind of wired up that way, and I can think of other scenarios in yeah. my life that just something like that happens. I actually even have that with movies. Like, I have to be really careful what I watch movie-wise, because if there's a scene, especially if it's a violent scene and it's, like, really, really intense, yeah, that scene will be, like, locked in my brain, and, and I have a hard time getting... Uh-huh. Oh, uh -huh. that yeah. reminds me of when my daughter was a baby, and I can still picture her sitting in her high chair as I'm feeding her, but I was really hung up on the soap opera Santa Barbara, and there was a little baby in that show, Adriana, I believe her name is Adriana, <laughs> Yeah. And or Ariana, I think Adriana, okay. and um, the little, and she was kidnapped. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because... How can you have a soap opera without it, having somebody a, a get baby kidnapped? kidnapped? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so you know the baby was kidnapped, and so and the baby was about the same age as my daughter, and so I'm sitting there feeding my daughter and crying, thinking, <laughs> "What if something happened to her? Yeah. Oh, I hope they find Adriana." And I was so wrapped up in this silly soap opera. So That's I get so that. Funny. I get that. Yeah. I don't know. So. 
Anyway, what are we talking about this week, Liz? You know what? Besides I, cats. Yeah, besides dying. cats. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, we're talking about safe spaces mm-hmm. and and safe and people that make you feel safe and and people that don't. Also, kind of the betrayal that you feel when you think that you're in a safe mm-hmm. space. And then it turns out to not be safe. Yeah. And that can be, that can really mess with us. Yes. And, um, you know, just, I, I think about your experience at the vet and how how comforted you felt. They, they, and how safe you felt and knowing that Satori was getting the best care. Yeah, they were, they were amazing. I really, really felt like they just in the moment took care, like kind of a stranger. Like I just showed up. Yeah. I mean, I literally just showed up. I'm not a patient there. Right. I mean, you know, and they, obviously I had to pay, and it wasn't cheap. (laughs) Yeah. But they still, they still took care of me, and I just thought it really was weird. I mean, John even heard me. I went, God, what do I do? And I turned to my left, and I'm like, you need to go there. See, you were so just, I mean, I honestly, it's like you're, it's like you were, you were being taken to a safe mm-hmm. place. Yeah, in that moment, it really felt like that's exactly what I was supposed to do. And it, it, it was a really good, it was yeah. a good, they were really, really nice. Nice enough, in fact, that I would consider changing my bet. Right. Because they were right. so lovely like that. Yeah, those are all the kinds of experiences that we have sometimes. You know, even like we switch mechanics, not because we don't like our other mechanic, but because we couldn't get into them one time and we went to this other place and they were so accommodating and loving and, you know, didn't try to oversell us and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And that's just something to say about if you have a business and your customer service, right? I mean, customer service can be everything, Correct. And so, yeah. and so, what about? I mean, have you in other times of your life thought you were in a safe space? Yes, I have. And then felt unsafe. Unsafe. Yeah. I, so, the biggest one, you know, as we were kind of preparing for today, and I'm thinking about my life and stuff. The biggest one for me is that when I was in my mid twenties, um, I was on this path in life and I wanted to be like a contemporary Christian recording artist and I what that meant was I would have albums and I would go around and mainly do concerts at churches and um you know where Christian music festivals and stuff like that and so I was kind of on this path and I had um I had people around me that I trusted I really did and um to this day, one of those people is still in my life, and I love him to death, and I've known him since I was 15. There are a couple other people, though. One particular individual who I'm just going to call him the manager. Okay. And I really did think that I was in a safe space at the time. I was married to Greg, and Greg knew him, knew his family, his wife and kids, and, you know. And so he was just, he was... He had, you know, he had investment in it because, you know, if I was going to be his artist, him as a manager would make money, right? Right, So right, right. it really, really did seem like um, everything was cool. It really did. Yeah. And as we got in, and I was in this relationship for several years, 
And as we got in deeper and deeper and deeper, there came a point where I realized, and 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 I'm going to share this, and it's just it's interesting that in the last week or so I. I've been kind of dealing with this and these memories and this particular point in my life has kind of come back to the surface because of my class I'm doing, the, the cohort thing I'm doing yes. with, with Paul. Right. So, um, <clears throat> so some of these things have been kind of bubbling back up. And um, so I don't know how to exactly say it because I'm going to say this and... <laughs> He, he had ulterior motives, and I didn't know it. Now, there are people who back then around me would, were telling me, at, you know, hey, I think, you know, there might be something else going on. And I, either I was blind because I wanted my dream out here, or I was subconsciously knew it was going on and just was... I don't know. Thought you had control over the situation I I, to some degree. I think I felt like I could handle him when I kind of started thinking, oh, maybe he does kind of like me or something like that. Yeah. I, I think I, I, there was a period of time where I kind of started feeling that. But like you said, I felt like I could handle it. Mm-hmm. I could, I could play, play the game, I'll say. I don't know. I, I don't exactly know where the line got crossed. All that to say, I never did anything that I felt was inappropriate or anything in that particular scenario in my life. But it turned out, when it got down to it, it was, I want you to leave your family and come with me and we'll be rock stars. I mean, it was... That he, he flat out yeah. wants to take you from your family. Did you have both kids at, by that point? I did. Or, okay. I did. So he literally wanted he, you to leave your he family. He literally wanted me to leave my family. And I felt at the time, well, I had all kinds of feelings. And, and like I said, still, when I think about it, I, I think had I, know, had I recognized it sooner, I could have nipped it in the bud. But, I mean, it, we got to the point where I had I was halfway uh, into a second uh, recording project that never got finished. Oh. I was in a contract. I couldn't do anything for years after. Wow. In fact, if I were to ever record or do anything here locally, I, I would use my maiden name on an album credit so that I, because I could, so that he wouldn't. Know. I, I could potentially have gotten in trouble. Now this is thirty years ago, so I really doubt. Right. But the other thing that's really weird, as I tell you this story, is that I learned that he passed away a couple days ago. Oh God. And I haven't. So all of these things have been kind of bubbling up as you've been going through this class. You've been remembering that time of your life yep. and the the even the writing, betrayal, even writing about it. The be, really mm-hmm. the the betrayal of this of this person that you trusted. I really thought I was safe. I really really thought I was. And then you find out that he has died. Uh-huh. Wow. And I have not processed it yet, Liz. <laughs> wow. I mean, I I told my ex husband, <clears throat> and he immediately called me. And he's like, what? And I mean, I haven't, I hadn't, since, since 30 years ago, well, not quite 30. Right. 28 and a half years yeah, ago. Yeah. 
Um, I haven't t- I haven't spoken to him. Has he been? No, he lives. Local? I don't even know where he you lives. Don't know where he lives. He, he was okay. from the Northern California area. Okay. I don't know where he lived. I don't know anything about his life. I don't know what happened. I honestly, sincerely hope that he had a good life. And, you know, I would never want anything. He had beautiful kids. I think I think they had four kids, which I'm sure they're all grown. And wow. They're all, you know, and, yeah. And he was ready to leave his uh-huh. family for, uh-huh. for you. Uh-huh. Wow. Wow. Uh-huh. So that's, that's the biggest example in my life that still kind of haunts me quite honestly you know and and I mean I I, in my class that I'm taking I was challenged to to recognize that I still have some disappointment probably deeper disappointment than I was even maybe willing to acknowledge that my music career didn't go the way I had envisioned and also that there were all these people around me, and I know you probably can relate to this. When you're in that evangelical kind of environment, there's well-meaning people around you, and they're praying for you, and you're going to be this, and I can see you on a big stage. and like this, They're know. prophesying over your future. And, and I'm yeah. going to just be the next yeah. Amy Grant, and all yeah. of that, and it didn't happen. Yeah. And so, yeah, there was some pretty deep disappointment. And so I was challenged in the last couple of weeks to kind of look at some of that. Mm. And then, so I just think it's interesting that this has all kind of been bubbling up and then he, he passed. So I, I don't, yeah. Interesting. Wow, don't that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's very interesting. So that's, that's I, like I said, the biggest example of a place where I, I really felt safe, but I really wasn't. Yeah. Or I thought, you know, I thought I was, but I wasn't. I think growing up, you know, there were periods of my growing up where, you know, you should be safe in your home, and I was not mm. because of ab- abuser types that floated in and out of my life as a child. And, you know, that's that's the tactic of the, those are the tactics of an abuser. They, mm. they make you feel safe. Mm-hmm. They make you feel loved. They make you feel important. Mm-hmm. And then they hurt you. Yeah. And sometimes it's physical, sometimes sexual, sometimes emotional. Even um, the manager, even he was probably grooming you. And, you know, whether he was conscious of what he was doing or not, whether he honestly fell in love with you or whether it was his plan all along, to, who well, knows? Well, I'll, I'll just say this. He told me that he had a five-year plan Oh, that is awful. <laughs> that is awful. He told me he had a five-year plan. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, wow. I, I can't remember how he told me that, but he he told me that. So Was like, he aware of your past, like your childhood? Was he aware that you had been abused and, abused all that? and stuff like that? Liz, that's a good question. But, I mean, I've been, I'm pretty transparent about that stuff I mean not going into all the details but you know I've never been a person to like oh I can't talk about that you know I've never been that I'm, I'm pretty open book right. and so I may have mentioned that I had some crappy stuff going on when I was growing up but well, and even in the world of being, um, you know, a Christian singer and getting on the stage, there's a lot 
of times that we are encouraged to tell our story, to make mm-hmm. our story a part of our, mm-hmm. you know, to make our mess our message, to yeah. make our, yeah. you know, the test our testimony, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So it may have been that somewhere along the way he, he knew a little bit of your and story. So he, and I think there's a vulnerability when, when you've got, like, like a predator, there's a, there's a, a vulnerability f- aspect to the victim, mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, I don't, because I mean, I I just didn't get it, you know, and people around me were like, hey, Deb, I think he's, and I'm like, no, 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 he's just, I, I, Wow. I, I, I was dumb. So he recognized, well, <laughs> you were naive, dumb. you were trusting. You I was. Were, you know, there's a lot of other words besides dumb that we can use to describe I know, who you were at that point. Yeah. And, you know, and who yeah. you are. You don't want to be completely, you know, so guarded that you shut people out of your life. You right. never want that to happen. Right. Well, and I think, too, when I recognized that that was going on, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm halfway into a CD where I'm getting to be part of the songwriting and part of the creative process, and I'm really excited about it. And now I'm understanding that this guy is... And so how how do I handle this? Right. Because I wanted that thing. Yeah. And I, I mean, I ultimately just walked away from all of it. Yeah. And Did you tell your husband at the time what was going yeah, on? And, yeah. yeah. I mean, once I... Once I really understood what was going on, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> um, you know, it's really, um, okay, so Brene Brown says something, uh, you know, Brene Brown, who does a lot of uh, work with shame and blame mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, and she's an incredible, if you don't know the work of Brene Brown, please go look her up and understand she's just amazing but one thing that Brene Brown says is um, genetics loads the gun environment pulls the trigger oh nice which is a great way Mm -hmm. to kind of describe the nature versus nurture you know controversy so um, uh, genetics loads the gun environment pulls the trigger and that was something, even though I had no idea who Brene Brown was when mm-hmm. I had my children, um, that was a concept that I kind of always understood. Mm-hmm. And I knew that my family, I was bringing my children into um, a genetic lottery <laughs> that uh, could produce a lot of loss. <laughs> right. And they, they could win the lottery or they could definitely get on the losing end of it. Right. And so I knew that there was addiction on both sides of our families. There was um, obesity. Mm-hmm. There was um, uh, problems with anger. And impulsivity. <laughs> okay. You know? And those are definitely things that I knew were traits mm-hmm. that my kids could inherit right. from either side of the family or, in some cases, both sides of the family. Right. So I wanted them to be raised in the most accepting and loving environment that I could possibly provide for them Mm -hmm. so that years down the road, if they experience any of these, you know, issues, issues, Mm -hmm. that they would have some support. And I, I kind of intuitively knew that. And we've talked before, my oldest son is a product of a, of a, 
uh, my first husband, who I, to whom I was married very briefly, and um, he even had more genetic baggage than my second husband. So I really wanted, you know, my kids to be raised in this safe environment. Sure. And so our home was, for the most part, safe. We definitely went through some crisis. My husband and I separated for a period of time. But we always wanted our children to have as much support as they possibly could. So we made choices, like putting them in the schools that that where they could rise to meet their best, to be their best selves, mm-hmm. and where their creative bent or their uh, high IQ bent could be kind of challenged. Mm-hmm. And so we made sure that they were in good schools. We made sure that we were in a very loving and accepting church. Mm-hmm. And we made sure that family um, environments were safe. And there were a couple of toxic um, people in our sphere, and I made sure to limit, you know, contact with those people just so I could keep them safe. Right. Um, Without telling them, oh, you know, Uncle so-and-so is toxic. Yeah. You know, we just would kind of limit kind of our time because I didn't want them to be exposed to a a few things. I definitely made sure that there were some television shows that I didn't introduce them to until they were older. Right. Um, Not, and, and, you know, that has nothing to do with a judgmental, you know, condemnation of certain television shows. It's just that I felt like I wanted them to be a certain age where they before they were exposed I, to certain I did the same thing. And yeah. I did the same thing. You know, so. and, and as parents we're always making mistakes. We're always doing things right and we're always doing things wrong. Yep. It's just because you're learning as you go, no matter who you are. There's no manual, people. There's <laughs> really and no matter how many books you read, your kid's gonna be completely different. But I think that that's why, you know, being in a church environment that eventually did kick my son out for being, you know, quote, too hard, was extremely heartbreaking because I thought that we were in a safe environment. And that was heartbreaking. And so, you know, when I ended up several years later attempting to go back to that church, the new pastor, um, you know, I thought the new pastor was completely different. But it turned out that there were the same people there doing the same kinds of things. And when I tried to talk with him, I, I reached out to him and I said, can we have a conversation about you know, the things that you're teaching from the pulpit is not really what I'm experiencing. And I would really kind of like to share with you my experience mm-hmm. with not feeling safe in this environment. Right. And um, he never returned any of my calls after having a fairly cordial relationship with him over a two or three year span of time. He never returned my calls and eventually just blocked me on social media and everything. So he he made sure that I knew that whatever my issue was, he was not interested in talking to me about it. And that was very, very difficult as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there's, I, I have, on my husband's side of the family, there's a couple of people that I don't feel safe around. And um, it's, it's very, very challenging. But the last experience that I had was I went to a Bible study with a group of teachers. And I was invited to it by um, a couple of friends of mine who are teachers who knew these people. But I didn't know the people, but they knew them. And I thought, you know what, I'm really burned out on the whole church experience, but I'll go. You're Mm -hmm. inviting me. I love you. I love, you know, I feel safe with you. I'll go. 
So I went to this small group at this woman's house for uh, about a year. And we were going through, um, we went, ended up going through two or three different like studies. Mm-hmm. And it was quite enjoyable, actually. I mean, I did feel safe, especially after a year or so. I sure. felt incredibly safe. So they were studying the book of James, which if you have ever been involved in church, you know that the book of James can be really, really convicting. <laughs> it's definitely one of those, oh gosh, you know, mm-hmm. A, B, C, and D really doesn't matter, but this matters, you know, serving people. Um, and one of the things that James talks about is what kind of a leader we should be looking towards and having in our lives. Mm. And um, I think that in this era of (laughs) Christian nationalism and the evangelical church kind of maybe having, you know, finding a new path, um, that we should probably go back to the book of James. Even if you're not a believer, this is a great this is a great book. And, and look at what the qualities <laughs> this of the... Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and what they were kind of encouraging in their local, mm-hmm. you know, jurisdictions during that time to look for in a leader. So in this particular Bible study, they asked a question um, about, have you ever had an experience with a church leader that betrays these, you know, this mm-hmm. list here? And so I thought, well, I've been here a year. I'll be safe to say um, what I'll be I safe think. to say what my experience has been. And all of these people went to various different churches and they didn't all go to the same church. But and there were only two men in the group, two husbands, and there well, one father, one husband, and then the rest of them were women. And the husband, I knew that this couple went to that big old mega church over on the north side of town. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that they went there, but I thought, I think I can be safe because that pastor, well, the new pastor, okay, whatever, he refused to meet with me, okay. But the old pastor was the one that had really betrayed these these teachings in James, okay. where my family was concerned. Okay. And I'm sure he was different with other people, but where my family was concerned, he did not follow, he did not practice what he preached. Okay. So I said, let me share my experience, you know, and, and so I told a little bit about my experience, and that man, he practically blew his, the top of his head off. <laughs> And he said, there is more to the story than you're telling us. That pastor would never have done that to you. He was a friend of mine. Of course, by this point, he had passed away. Oh, okay. Right. So he says um, he was a friend. He would never have done it. There is more to this story. You need to be more honest about what the rest of the story is. (gasps) And I just thought, I am in a safe place and you are attacking me. And so I walked out of there and I sent a text to the host and I said, I won't be coming back. And it wasn't so much, um, of course, this man, the way he talked to me was terrible, you know, terrible and appalling in front of all these people, you know, in front of this he, group he, of people. He, he could have waited and even pulled you aside. He could have and just said, I have doubts about your story. Can we talk about it? He could have. There's any number of ways that he could have handled it. that differently. Yeah. Yeah. And so to the hostess, I said, this is what I'm feeling, and I, I won't be coming back. Because it wasn't um, only about how he talked to me. It was the fact that nobody in that room 
spoke up and said, hey, hey, let's give her a chance. Let's give Liz a chance to tell her story. And clearly there's some hurt that still is there for her. Yeah. How about if we talk about it? How about if we deal with it? How about if we pray for her? Anything, anything. Right. I think, well, keep going. Well, so when I texted the hostess and said, you know, I, I won't be coming back, she goes, well, I guess this is just a lesson in the fact that we ought not ever use names when we're telling stories. And that threw me for a loop because during this year, all of them had been giving the names of friends and family members that they were asking for prayers for or good thoughts for because they were suffering from cancer or they had gotten a divorce or they were whatever. All these personal journeys mm -hmm. that we all held in a safe place. Right and did not pass judgment, right. did not tell them how they should right. know, handle it, sure. just said, sure, I'll, I'll support you in this prayer request or whatever. And for me to not get the same safety, to not get the same respect that I had been giving them, despite the fact that I, you know I had opinions, mm -hmm. because we all do. Yeah, and yeah. You know, we yeah. all do. And so based on my experience, education, and emotion, I have opinions that are way different than yours or way different than, you know, mm -hmm. Joe Blows down the street. And so the fact that I had reserved my own personal thoughts and opinions um, at, in, and replaced that with support, right. just blind <clears throat> support, but they then couldn't do that for me, I was devastated. Yeah, I can see why. I was devastated. I can see why. And that, for me, was the straw that broke the camel's back. That is, you know, I've never, I, you know, right now I want to say I will never yeah. step into an evangelical Christian church ever again, and I will never go to a Bible study ever again. Now, like we talked about last week, we have been, we're different people mm -hmm. than we were four years ago, five years ago, mm -hmm. ten years ago. And so a year from now, two years from now, I may feel completely differently than I do right now. So I hesitate to say never. Um, right. But Never say never. Never say never. <laughs> yeah. But when you think that you're in a safe place yeah. Yeah. and it, all of a sudden it's not safe, mm -hmm. um, it's... It's horrible. I, it, I just had a, a, a memory of, so over the course of my life, um, this is going to be a weird thing that I'm going to share, but um, <laughs> I, I, you know, had issues and needed um, professional help. <laughs> so I've landed in a handful of Therapy offices, right? You know, and 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 we've talked to yeah. we've talked about yeah. some of them. I mean, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think everybody in their life at some point probably needs to land in a therapist's office. About because if you have diabetes, you need a doctor, and if you have yeah. mental struggles, you need a doctor. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, so yeah. I think it like, but it just has such this stigma, you know. Yeah. So, um, <coughs> you know, over a course of I'll say a 25 year period. You know, I and I went to three or four different therapists that never really lasted very long. You know, I'd go for a little bit, and I don't know. I think the the second to the last one that I went to, um, I remember thinking, 
I I feel like I know more than her. <laughs> I mean, I just I just kind of had this sense. I mean, she was really nice, really nice lady. But I just I just had a sense that I wasn't in the right place. Right. So I got I don't know how much longer I went. You know, a couple of years and realized, you know, this was the, the last time I've ever been in therapy, and I was in there for ten years in a group. Wow. Once a week. Right. Thing. And um, the first time I met her, um, I, I went in there, sat down, and um, I had my meeting with her, and it was great. And that night, I went home, and I had a dream that night. It's funny. I haven't thought about this in a long time. I had a dream that she was sitting where you are, like this, across from each other, and like I, I could see her insides. It was like her belly was kind of laid open like this, and like I could see her insides. Wow. And I mean, I was talking to her, but I could see her insides. <laughs> I mean, just kind of weird. Like and she, she was just talking like uh, there was nothing. Yeah, she was wrong. just laid <laughs> open. And, yeah. wow. and I shared that with her the next time I saw her, and she got teary-eyed. And she said, I really believe that means that you're in a place where you're safe and that you can trust me, Debbie. You can trust me. You can trust me to go on this journey. Now, it's, you know, I'm just going to say I was there for 10 years. Okay. I was there for okay. 10 years, and never once did I not feel safe in that environment with her and those five or six or eight, sometimes there were eight, sometimes five kind of women. Yeah. Never, never, never once. Wow. Never once did I not feel safe there. And, you know, I wonder if not only was she, in fact, a safe space for you, but I wonder if you sharing your dream with her also reminded her mm -hmm. of the sacred job mm -hmm. that well, she had to be safe, to be a safe space. Well, what she said was what she felt like my dream meant, you know, right, right, whatever, right. is that she was being transparent. There was a transparency thing that was happening, that she was authentic and transparent, right. and that I could see that, and that I could trust that. Wow. And she's a Christian lady. Wow. She's, she's a very, you know, eccentric. Yeah. <laughs> but very spiritual I shouldn't yeah. even say, I don't even like to say the word Christian, Christian anymore. Yeah. Spiritually led person. Okay. okay. And so, um, you know, I, there, are, there are places in, in life where, like we're talking about, where you, you think you're going to be safe and then you're not. There are also places where you think you're not safe, but you really are. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I had one of those today. Really? I did. So I got a COVID vaccine today. Ah, congratulations. And I had an anxiety attack in there because it terrifies me. Mm. It, the whole thing terrifies me. I'm, I'm, I am. The reason why I was able to get a vaccine is because I'm a hospice volunteer. Right. And so because I'm a healthcare provider, right. I was able to, to get one. And, and you know, I've, I've been vacillating back and forth if I want to do it or not, you know, and 
ultimately I think it's a better choice to do it. But I was terrified mm. to the point where I was sitting in the chair. I even knew the people who were giving me the shot. Right. Good friends of mine. They're both retired nurses. I was going to say, they are retired and have come out of retirement to, to come and help to help with the COVID vaccinations. Yep. So yeah. by, you know, an act of the universe, John and I ended up in their little booth getting Fabulous. our shots from them. Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> I was just, just a mess for two hours this morning. But the reality is, most likely I was safe. Yeah. Even though my body was telling me some completely other story. <laughs> well, you, you know. and you, because you have a history of being betrayed, of mm-hmm. believing that you're safe, and then, you know, ending up that it's not safe. Right. So you have some trust issues. I do. You know, um, <laughs> I, I get it. I empathize greatly. Um, and so, you know, the, that's why that's why your mind plays those kinds of tricks yeah, on you and tells like, you that you're not safe. Now, my arm isn't my arm. I have no pain. I did. I did not feel that. I didn't even feel the needle go in. Right. I right. didn't. Nothing. Wow. Nada. Nothing. Wow. <laughs> so, I don't even know. now. You can lift it and not. Oh yeah. Oh wow. I'm not, there's nothing. I'll be curious to know if tomorrow or something know, you'll have that, a little bit. And yeah. then, of course, the second one is supposed to be a little bit more. And that, because scare, our, that scares me more. So yeah. Just because our, our, our immunities are, are taking it a little bit differently. So well, if, if you have a little reaction, it's a good thing. It means that your body is accepting, you know. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I went to the dentist yesterday, and he was just, you know, working in my mouth. And the at one point, he asked his hygienist, he said, could you find out? what the number of blah 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 and she goes where would I find that and I'm like I do not feel safe you're not supposed to be asking those kinds of questions (laughs) it's like it's like I I feel like they've there have been commercials on tv where you know it's like silly and the doctor's like you know doesn't know what the tool is called and you know and stuff like that and the patient's like Oh, that wonderful um, Harvey Corman, um, yeah. you know, Tim, Tim Conway, Conway. Um, sketch that they did for Carol Burnett show about their dentist, where he just kept shooting, shooting himself, <laughs> numbing agents. So funny, and honestly, that's kind of how I felt in this chair yesterday because I'm thinking, and the woman, you know, the hygienist, I have my mask on, and at some point she's going, "You can take your mask off," and I'm like, "No." No, I cannot take my mask no. off. My mouth is not open yet. The dentist is not sitting next to me. No, this is <laughs> yeah. staying on, you know. And um, I just, everything about it, it's a dentist I've only been to one other time. Mm-hmm. And they're putting on a crown. You right. know, I've had the implant done, and now it's the dentist's turn, and right. he's going to do the crown. But, I, you know, I didn't feel safe. Yeah. And, 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 this is the way it started yesterday with in that appointment. The, the dentist comes in, and he's got his hands in my mouth, and he's, he's o- it's only been going on, like, maybe a minute and a half or whatever. And I said, quick question, are those gloves you're wearing latex? And he goes, yeah, why? And I said, because I am violently allergic to latex, and I will end up leaving this uh, appointment in an ambulance if you don't get those off. And he's like, do I know that? Is there something on your chart? <laughs> And in great big letters on the other side of my form, it says no latex. But they had it turned over. So he didn't see that. 
And neither did the hygienist, who also was asking questions about where she would find certain information. I, I've known other people who have that allergy. What, is, what does that do? What, what happens? Well, in some cases, you end up, you know, with extreme, um, you know, not being able to breathe and stuff mm -hmm. like that. For me, it's just welts from head to toe. Gosh. I actually fainted in a dentist's office. I left the chair and said, I need to go to the bathroom. I need to go to the bathroom. So I went into the bathroom and I laid down on the cold tile floor because my body was burning up. Gosh, and I had welts from head to toe. Could You remember that time when you had an allergic reaction? Yeah. Maybe you had some latex that touched you that you don't know Well, where I that just had another uh, reaction my, on my mouth just in the last week or so again. And... Um, you know, I'm not using a lot of lipstick or lip gloss or anything because we're wearing masks everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, um, the last time I had it and my lips just swelled. They just did. You looked, you looked like... I look like ooh. I have been plumped. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, when I put lipstick on it, it's really attractive. Yeah, it was... It, I actually looked <laughs> fabulous. Um, but I just had that same reaction just in the last week. And when I had it a few months ago, I thought, gosh, I wonder if it's this lip gloss that, I, so it must. that I've never used. And then a, a week and a half or so ago, I used that same lip gloss again. And it did it again. And it did it again. So it's that... And I said... Got it. Now I know. And I have two of that brand, and I threw them both in the trash. They're expensive wow. brands. They're they're good brands of lip gloss. But um, that's yeah. scary. So I had that scary. But the first time I found out I was allergic to latex was that. Now I will say that in my early days of marriage, you when you don't want to get pregnant. There are <laughs> latex comes into the picture, right? <laughs> and so, thank goodness that I did not have a latex allergy at that point. <laughs> but that would be bad. <laughs> that would be bad. But when my when my one of my kids, I think it was my youngest, oh, was having cool. a birthday, and she was probably around, you know, seven-ish, eight-ish, something like that. I was blowing up balloons, and these balloons had particularly a lot of latex powder in them. They were very powdery, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? I know those. And so I'm blowing them up, blowing them up, and my eye, you know, of course you're touching and yeah. you're rubbing your eyes and whatever, and my eye just swelled like shut. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, what is what is happening right now? And um, my husband's aunt is a nurse, and she said, maybe you have a latex allergy. And I'm thinking... Well, you know, back in the day when we needed latex, that wasn't the case, but who knows? So it was only about six months later when I was sitting in the dentist chair having some work done, and he put a dental dam in my mouth, which is just a piece of latex. Yeah. And I said... What is this? What is this thing? Ah, ha, ha. As I'm trying to talk to him, what is this thing you have in my mouth? And he says, it's just a little piece of latex. I said, I think I might be allergic because my mouth just started tingling. And the only reason that I knew that I might be allergic to latex was because of that experience six weeks, six months wow. earlier. That's, um, and that's so true. that's what triggered this little, uh -huh. ah, yeah. I think maybe. And, yeah. um, wow, Liz. and by the time he got it out of my mouth and the hole closed up enough so that I could comfortably leave, right? you know, um, I was just covered from head to toe in welts and lying on the bathroom floor so that the cold tile could help me feel better. Wow. My husband was out of town. 
Um, I was in the middle of directing a, a theater workshop at the theater and so I called my mom and then I had then I called my husband and I told my husband to call the director of the theater company just to say I don't think I'm going to make it to the rehearsal tonight. Somebody needs to cover me. And they put me in an ambulance. They walk in, you know, on the ambulance with latex gloves on to work on me. The dentist gave me little balloons filled with water that he had frozen to keep swelling down because they had that in were the freezer. Latex. And now these latex balloons are like on my face and I'm like, everybody get away from me with the latex. And um went to the hospital and they, you know, filled me up with you know, Benadryl, Benadryl and all yeah, that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I went home, and I've had one or two other reactions since then um, to things that I didn't realize had latex in it. Even the little yeah. nasal thing on a mask that I bought where you clip it on your nose, and it's this little soft mm-hmm. cushion mm-hmm. had a little bit of latex on it, and I ended up with a rash all under my eyes. Wow, Liz. So it's a pretty severe allergy. Yes. So yesterday at the dentist's office, I'm like, I don't feel safe. I need you all to understand me. I need you all to recognize yes. um, you know, what my chart says yeah. so that I know that I'm in a safe place. Yeah. Well, I, in, in the, my little class that we're doing, um, uh, we have been talking about you know, what basic needs are in humans Mm -hmm. and really like one of the time I mean yeah we need food and water and air but we need to feel safe yeah and there's a real real critical element of healthy human beings called safety and when we don't feel safe and, and probably most of us in our life have gone through periods of time where we really didn't feel safe and if you go through those times when you're a child, mm-hmm. it it's hard to come into adulthood without kind of being hypervigilant and having those kind of trust safety issues. And I know that I I'll probably deal with those kinds of things till the end. <laughs> you know, yeah. I know at, I will. Yeah. I know at I will. at the yeah. same time, though, being aware mm-hmm. of that and knowing that I need to feel safe and knowing what I need to feel safe and what I don't need, you know, the things to stay away from and the things to, to um, you know, want to have near me to keep me safe. And so just I know what those things are for the most part at this point in my life. And yeah. so, you know, I'm thankful for that awareness. And that's because of that therapist <laughs> that you had for 10 that years I had yeah. for so long that's that, amazing you know so um well and I also I, I think that one of the things that people like you and me need to be on guard um of is knowing that we've done everything that we can to mm-hmm. be safe mm-hmm. and then not blaming ourselves if yes if something then happens you know that that violates that mm-hmm. that trust. Yeah. Whether it's a relationship yep. or whether it's yep. you know somebody who does something to our children or our family or whatever. If you know there's still going to be people that break through. Mm-hmm. You know, and we can't be so so guarded right. that we don't allow people in. Right. And that is the risk that we take by letting people in is um, finding out that that person wasn't a safe person. Exactly. But But if you don't risk 
then sometimes you, you're going to miss out too. So it's a fine balance. Yeah. And there's always going to be more mm-hmm. to, to gain mm-hmm. than to lose. Yes. And so not letting those losses um, get in the way of us continuing to search for the gains. Yes. Because I know that I've definitely gone through periods of my life, um, and COVID has not been kind in this regard, but I've definitely been through periods of my life when I haven't, you know, I'm invited somewhere and I just won't go. Yeah. And -hmm. and that is really sad and unfortunate. And then after time, you know, if you get invited a couple of times, then people stop inviting you if you don't go. That's right. That's right. And they don't. That's right. Yeah. And they don't stop to say, hey, maybe she needs a little bit more encouragement. Maybe Mm -hmm. she needs to know that she's safe. They just think that it's about them. Right. You know? Right. And that's unfortunate, too. Right. That's our our self-centered natures. Well, it is. (laughs) It is. And so on the one hand, please invite me again. You know, I've even said, you know what, today's not a good day for me, but please invite Mm -hmm. me again. Mm -hmm. Next time you do this, please. And maybe I won't go. In fact, my husband and I were invited to a Christmas party several years ago, and we got to the house. If I told you the name of the people, you would probably recognize the name because they're kind of, you know, hoity-toity people here in town. Um, And it was lovely to be invited to this Christmas party. It really was. But we got to the house. And you went, (gasps) and there were so many people. And, And I could see people going in. And I had a complete panic attack. And we turned around and went home, and I never went to that party. And I might have, you know, I'm sure that I missed out on, first of all, a fun experience. But also, maybe that wasn't, maybe you were not meant to go. That's true. Mm -hmm. And maybe I wasn't meant to Mm -hmm. go. And maybe it wasn't a safe place. We're right. I mean, I think sometimes if you have such a visceral response like that. See, that's what I thought this morning. Okay, I'm having this visceral, I'm freaking out, I shouldn't do it, but I went ahead and did it. Right. (laughs) My shot. And you have no um, reservations about it at this point. (sighs) No, I don't. So, (laughs) Debbie, this is why I'm involved in theater, because when I got involved in theater, I found a safe space. Yeah. And I can think of one particular actress that I, um, you know, was nothing but toxic. (laughs) And she, there was nothing safe about being around this woman. Um, But... I have met hundreds and hundreds of people, and she is the only one that, you know, I've met people from different, you know, different religions, different sexual proclivities, um, different colors, different everything. Right. And yet, we have created a safe space for one another. That is the beautiful thing about the arts community. It really is. It's it's safe. It's very safe. It's diverse, and it's beautiful and weird and crazy and safe. Yeah. And And because I've dealt with a lot of um, unsafe situations, when people find themselves um, going through a difficult time, they call me. Mm -hmm. If their children are uh, confused, if their children are lost, you know, they come to me. Yeah. and And I give them a safe space. And that's a beautiful thing. So how can you, quickly before we wrap up, how can you provide... A safe space for, for people out there. I, I think the thing that comes to my mind is um, be a trust trustworthy person. So, you know, people 
like I really do feel like people know that they can tell me a secret and I'm not going to say it. Right. I'm going to keep that secret, you right. know. I think that's an important thing. That's something that I always try to do. In fact, even as we speak, yesterday I had a conversation with someone and they told me something and they asked me not to tell anybody and I'm not going to. Right. You know, I mean, I'm just right. not. And and that's just, that's being, you know, be be trustworthy. Be trustworthy. In today's, like in today's broken world, when people, you know, say something that you don't agree with, whether it's about a political figure or about, you know, whether you should wear a mask or get the vaccine or whatever it is, yeah. be a safe space for one another. Yeah. Let them have their you know, opinions, whatever, if they're open to having a conversation about a different opinion, then make sure that that also is a safe space. Yep. Yep. You know, don't blast them because of how they feel or what they believe. Um, If you want to share with us a little bit about your safe places or places where you don't feel safe, send us an email at wedancewithskeletons at gmail.com or check out dancingwithskeletons.net. We would love to hear from you and get to know you a little bit better. And we, we did hear from one of you this week, and that we was really did. fun. That really was fun. Mm-hmm. And so thank you to those of you who are coming on this journey with us. We we want you to know that that we're a safe space for you yeah, as well. That's, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. all right. Well, until next time. Have a great week, Deb. You too.